0: And this moment, life has changed radically in a short period of time. This moment with you know the internet age and having the internet in our pocket 24-7 and endless ways to distract ourselves moment to moment, I think a little goes a long way. I think we actually need ways to just for 90 seconds have a tool that allows you to unplug from whatever is... Hijacking and fragmenting your attention moment to moment mm. and come back to yourself, come back to your breath.
1: Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey friends, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to discuss the many benefits of meditation and mindfulness, as well as the myths that keep us from meditating. Joining us is Rebecca Pacheco, a yoga and meditation teacher with more than 20 years experience. She's the author of Still Life, The Myths and Magic of Mindful Living. And Rebecca, I have to say that is a gorgeous cover.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. I I do love it as well.
1: It was fun to choose. So pretty. And you're also the creator of Runners World Yoga Center, as well as videos for women's health. You've appeared in many media outlets, including NPR, Forbes, Huffington Post. Um, And I'm thrilled to have you on today. In fact, I had dinner with Lisa Genova, who's one of my favorite people and favorite podcast guests, and she raved about your book. And she's like, Michelle, I need to connect you with Rebecca. And I was like, oh, what does she write about? And when she told me, I'm like, oh my goodness,
0: perfect fit. And I get it when I read the book. I was like, I get it. She's an incredible person. She is just talented beyond belief. And then she is the ultimate, like, supporter and advocate for other writers and creative women. And, you know, I, I have to say, I know a great deal of your audience is women, they are moms. And here I was finishing a book in the pandemic with a small child at home. And I was at I had to ask favors as one does when you're launching something into the world. And Lisa, our friend, Genova's this, you know, big deal author, multiple books turned into films, and um, and several other writers. I had to ask, you know, could you would you read this in advance and and share your thoughts? And I have to tell you, here we had all these working mothers, creative mothers trapped in their houses with their small (laughs) children. Every single one of them said yes. I'd love to send it to me. So it's a little bit of a side note, but in terms of, you know, what she gave to this book and helped bring it to life with, with her support, it's a big deal. And I just, I feel like other moms that might, you know, sit well with them. And I was shocked and stunned and heartened by it. Every time someone said yes, like I'd well up with tears just because it was a hard road. Writing, writing books is hard. This is my second. And, and also what we've been living through has been really hard, hard to work, hard to you know, uh, keep things afloat. And so just incredible when you meet a person like that, who's willing to step up for you.
1: Completely. And she really was so deeply passionate about it. She, I mean, she was like, the way my book teaches you about memory and all the things you need to know, Rebecca's book is doing that for the world of meditation and mindfulness. And for sure, it definitely is. And it's funny, I told you before the bikes went on that after having finished reading it, every morning I wake up and I notice how (laughs) busy my mind is and I'm in the shower and I'm like, okay, bring it back to the moment. The water is hitting my face. I was trying to bring more mindfulness or like packing the lunch. I'm like, I'm packing the lunch. I'm, Putting this dish in the dishwasher. It's really challenging. It's challenging. But it's it feels good to feel more in
0: control versus just let the, the mind just go crazy, you know? And and hopefully to do it without a whole lot of extra judgment, just noticing is very, very powerful. Like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm somewhere else right now. And to gently yes. bring yourself back.
1: Yeah. I wasn't hard on myself, but it was just, it was really interesting. I was like, yeah. oh, wow. I didn't realize how active my mind was from literally the second I wake up.
0: Right. And in terms of, you know, Lisa's field is, is neuroscience, neurobiology. And so there are so many overlaps with the brain itself, how it operates and the mind and mindfulness. And you know, it's it's so intriguing because they often reinforce each other, right? Like for example, the brain is stressed, or rather we our stress is elevated when our mind is in many different places at once. Yeah. When we're, when we're immersed in an activity and you can do an MRI of the brain, but when you're immersed in something specific the the mind is actually much happier and people know that you know anecdotally you know that when you're immersed in doing one thing you feel more relaxed right
1: completely and i want to get into that actually in terms of even like the social media and how our brains are bouncing around but i'd love to start with Just a little bit about your background, because I'm always curious, you know, how did you get into the field of becoming a yoga teacher and, you know, get into meditation to the point where you've now published two books to empower people around, you know, just the power of
0: this work? Sure. I like to say that I've been doing yoga so long that I started before we had yoga pants. We just had pants. (laughs) And you can wear them to yoga. (laughs) And and really, truly, I mean that. Um, You know, I was a teenager. I was 16 years old. Um, I got into yoga for the same reason that a lot of teenagers start anything new. And that is I knew someone older and cooler who did it. And um, but what kept me there was far deeper than that. I think even at that young age, I sensed that I needed something. I needed a tool to help me manage maybe the tumult of of being a teenager uh to manage you know um an anxious nature which you know in hindsight is clearer but at the time i i wasn't doing it uh consciously so to speak right yeah um so i got into yoga it was really never a career path because it it was not a career path at the time um and i you know, went on to study English literature. I wanted to be a writer. So that, that part has been consistent throughout. And what happened career wise was I was always, um, part of the yoga world. I was, you know, meditation was very important to me. It was often a side hustle as we now say, um, it, it became, it really took off. So my trajectory professionally, Sort of uh, dovetailed with the yoga industry blossoming and expanding and and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I started a blog in the heyday of blogs. And that was a place where I could sharpen my voice as a writer. Um, But I was telling stories against the backdrop of yoga and meditation and wellness and spirituality and you know how to what it means to live in a body what it means to live in a mind and um, a literary agent reached out and said i think you have a book in you and i said i'm on page 40 <laughs> <laughs> and and so that was kind of how the careers merged or the passions merged you know i've i've had a lot a very windy path and there's certainly more to the story but that's kind of the gist of it is i got into yoga very very young and And I've always been a writer at heart and and here I am now grateful to merge the two. And of course, yoga as we know it in the U.S. uh, is often associated with the beautiful bendy poses, but it's much, 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 much more than that, um, philosophically, spiritually, and in terms of meditation. And so the first book was more purely yoga. And this book is much more, um, you know, all the other 23 hours of the day when you're not on a yoga mat or when you can't get to a yoga mat, or even when you can't meditate, what do you do when you can't meditate? How can you be mindful? How can you, you know, come back to a sense of inner stillness, even when life gets in the way, which it has a knack for doing, right? It's still life. And so that, that's part of the, the charm of the title is it's still life.
1: <laughs> yes. I was going to ask you about how you came up with that because it almost could be a play on words.
0: It it definitely still life. That's what I was gonna
1: ask you. Okay, yeah.
0: It's purposeful. You know, there are three meanings really. There's there's still life as in being still and finding stillness. Yes. There's no matter what happens, it's still life. You can you can be the best yogi in the world. You can drink all the green juice, you can meditate every day, and still life might knock you on your butt sometimes, right? We all know that experience. Yes. Yes. It's, It's still life, right? And it Is still redeeming and affirming, and and we have to get through it. And so, how do we do that? And then, of course, I really loved the artistic element, like still life art. And so that's why the cover looks rather um, artistic. You know, you're sitting; those of you who can't, the listeners can't see you, maybe, but you have these flowers in the corner. Yeah, I had these. Yeah, yeah, they remind the. You know, that is something that I wanted to evoke purposefully because. Um, you know, in art, still life art, they're objects that are, you know, inanimate, but we, the artist is trying to portray them in a new and fresh way. So, yeah. and that's mindfulness too. It's seeing right. life in a new and fresh way.
1: Right. And if they still evoke energy. Like I'm looking at these beautiful flowers, which are sitting here so still and radiant. And yet there's so much beauty and yeah. emotion that comes from just being able to look at them. I thought, I said to my family yesterday, I'm, Best $8 I spent at Trader Joe's yesterday. You know, I love these yellow roses. They're gorgeous.
0: I I agree. I agree. So it's, you know, finding those snapshots within your day and within your life that allow you to slow down and that allow you to become more present. And the more you practice, the more natural that becomes. Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, I think people know the benefits of meditation, of stilling the mind, stilling the body, tuning in. It's not easy to do, as we know, which we'll get into, but tell us what you feel are some of the, I mean, there's many listed, I think it was on page 31, 32, I, instead of me reading them, I'd love for you to share some of the the ones that you feel are the most oh, compelling. Sure. And again, this is not like going to solve all the problems. This is what I loved about the book. This is, this is what can you do to bring peace in the moment right, and right. presence.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I recently, um, I'm part of a, a group of writers and journalists, and I I did a, a, a talk with them recently. And um, Paul Kicks, who's a, a journalist and, a, and an author, loved that first page and read it aloud. It's on 31, 32. Yep, exactly. I'm happy to do the list, but I wanted it to be less scientific and more peer tested. So it's really the things that people tell me or that I've experienced personally about meditation, because I think anyone can Google the benefits of meditation. Totally. I mean, anyone can click on an article that says you should be doing this. And I don't really want to come to it from a place of being meditation's hype woman. You know, I feel like meditation doesn't need any more hype. I want to, I want to come to it from a place of, I can show you how, like if you're interested, I'm not, you're here. Like, let's do it together. Let me help you make it work for your life. Yeah, that's
1: why I was curious. From that list though, you're the
0: ones that call you. Oh me. Yeah. I know for a fact that if I'm going to have a rough night of sleep, if I'm going to be, you know, consumed with anxiety at 3 a.m., it's a day that I've scrimped on meditation. Like without fail, that's the very like practical, direct one for me. Yeah. Um, but I'll just quickly do. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I love that. But these um, are some of the benefits of meditation. Here are some things that can happen when you meditate. You feel less stressed. You sleep better. You walk through the world half asleep less often. Your blood pressure decreases. The part of your brain responsible for making sound decisions gets stronger. The likelihood that you remember someone's name increases. You remember who you are. You experience less chronic pain in severity or frequency. You become a better listener to yourself and others. You become a better friend to yourself and others. You become a more patient parent. You become a more compassionate child. You taste your food. You recognize your connection to all beings and the earth. You can hold a thought. You can do just one thing. You can do the courageous thing. You pay attention. The impulsive part of your brain the imp- impulsive part of your brain feels triggered and agitated less often. You remember to breathe. Mm. You love deeper. You pay attention. You remember to breathe. You live your life rather than life living you.
1: Ah, love that last one. I mean, I love them all, but
0: that's oh, right. thank you. Yeah. So you can tell I, I wanted to do a combination of the stuff that is proven by science. Right. right? The that sleep, which everyone
1: wants to get better sleep, right? right.
0: Yeah. Everyone knows. Everyone wants it. Um, but there are all these other more nuanced, more personal ways that yeah. people talk about all the time that I've either experienced myself or witnessed um, that I wanted to pepper within. Um, so I'm glad you like. I loved
1: it. And yeah, remember who you are. Yeah. I mean, that's at the heart of why we're here and just being able to bring the real you out into the world. So that's why it impacts those relationships that was part of the list and And how
0: you attract with yourself. Yes, that's the heart of your work, right? And you're coaching people to do that all the time. And so part of the practices that I share, I hope are the tools that help people do that, right? Because- we, we want to remember who we are. Sometimes we don't even know we've lost our way. Um, and so it's the how of coming back.
1: Okay. So now let's get into the myths because I think, <laughs> uh, here, let me, let me tell you a few, like, even with me. So I, I have tried to meditate. I have successfully done it. When I do it, it feels great. I've used apps like Headspace. I researched t- transcendental meditation. I'm like, I don't, I know myself enough to know I'm not going to sit twice a day for 20 minutes, Um, you know, and then, right. Then there's all the voices of, well, what's five minutes, you know, is that even worth doing and all the things. So take us through like why you've seen from your practice, people have such a hard time when we do know the benefits are so great and we can feel it just like with working out. Yeah. You always feel better, but you don't always
0: get up and do it. Exactly. But I think there's, this barrier to entry or, or even this built-in judgment that we're not doing it right, that it's not enough, that it's not worth it if it's not at least 20 minutes. Yes. So it just takes on this, uh, momentum that feels stressful, quite frankly. (laughs)
1: Totally. Rebecca, I would fall asleep. Yes. I'm talking at nine in the morning. There was no reason I wasn't even tired and I'd sit. And the next thing I know, I would be like, oh my goodness, I just dozed it off. And I'm like, well, then that would make me feel kind of bad. I'm like, why am I falling asleep? And you mentioned it in the book. And I'm like, oh, I guess people do fall asleep. It's not just me.
0: Yes, they do. They do. And often it means you just, you need more sleep. You know, So, <laughs> so rather than, than taking that feedback as you're a crummy meditator, (laughs) you know, I prefer to share with people the advice of a a teacher named Alan Watts, who says, so what is a good meditator then? One who meditates. Mm. And that's it. A little can go a very long way. I think in particular with the nature of our lives right now, I wanted to write a book about mindfulness and there are so many, and there are so many exceptional books about mindfulness but what I wanted to to do was place it in this moment. And this moment, life has changed radically in a short period of time. This moment uh, with you know, the internet age and having the internet in our pocket 24-7 and endless ways to distract ourselves moment to moment, I think a little goes a long way. I think we actually need ways to just for... 90 seconds have a tool that allows you to unplug from whatever is, you know, hijacking and fragmenting your attention moment to moment Mm. and come back to yourself, come back to your breath. And it takes practice. And 20 minutes is really great if you can do that every day, wonderful. But particularly in the beginning, that's very hard. That's a lot of time to be up in your own mind without a whole lot of guidance. So, obviously. Books are helpful, qualified teachers are helpful. And then also, there are so many little tricks breathing exercises, a mantra here, um, you know, a little practice here, a creativity or, or an activity in your life that already exists that helps you become present. Could you bring that back? Things like Making jewelry or, you know, adult coloring became so big in recent years, in part because it helps people slow down, be immersed in the moment. And that can be your mindfulness practice, Mm -hmm. right? There's a difference between meditation and mindfulness. Meditation is that formal practice of sitting still. And so if if for you 20 minutes is like out of the question, how about five? I'd be thrilled if, if if five helped you start your day. And that's a win and see it as a win and take it as a win. And then of course, so that's meditation is the formal practice of sitting, paying attention to one thing, usually the breath, but then mindfulness spans our entire day, all of life. Everyone we're talking to anything we're doing, we're chopping carrots for the soup. We're helping the child with the homework. We're sipping our tea and I'm just sipping my tea. You know, it's, it's having that kind of wiring and um, training to just pause throughout the day.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what I tried to do. I think, you know, after finishing this book, just saying, okay, wait, my mind's going, I'm, yep. I'm putting this dish in the dishwasher. Now I'm doing the dishes right. or I'm doing the laundry. And I also felt that doing that actually helped me have less resistance to the task versus going, oh, I have to do the dishes. It's like, well, when you're in the moment, It's like, I'm getting to do the dishes and I'm paying attention to the fact that I'm just doing the dishes. And without the story, it didn't feel as right, like something I was resisting as much. Well,
0: you're not trying to get through the moment. You're just there, right? Rather than it's what's next, what's next, what's next. That's a very stressful place (laughs) to be.
1: (laughs) where Um, I live.
0: (laughs) And I get, I mean, yeah, likewise, I didn't write a book because I'm the expert and I do it perfectly all the time. I wrote maybe the book that I need, um, but I wrote wrote the book that's real and the book that I can write. And I relate to that very, very much. I think we all do. Um, I, I, in college, I approached a lot of this from, you know, from the scholarly angle or the philosophical angle. And there's a a beautiful teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, a Vietnamese peace activist and monk. And he says, wash the dishes to wash the dishes. So I had this incredible Buddhist philosophy teacher who gave the homework assignment to all of us to wash the dishes, and then write about it. Of course, my roommates loved that homework. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, kid, the next one is to the laundry.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And look, like I, I, I'm I, a, a very ardent, unapologetic feminist. So I know there's a lot of invisible labor that your our, your listeners are doing. And, and I don't want to sugarcoat it, right? Like, <laughs> But in terms of the day-to-day being in our yeah. lives, Beautiful. How can we, you know, pump the brakes on, you know, getting through it, getting through it, what's next, what's next, and just, just being in the moment. And it's beautiful. Um,
1: and it's really lovely that you had that experience in college. I, I know you studied Buddhism. I love that they offered that. I don't know if that was available in my university. It's just kind of your lens of awareness at the time. But I remember reading how you took the class and I thought I would have loved something like that. And so even the fact that you're here sitting today, being able to share your knowledge is creating a new level of awareness and opening to other ways that you talk about being, this is free. Meditation is free. You don't need the $70 a year app, right? I mean, you literally just need to, well, maybe actually, why don't you tell us how to approach it? Because I think in terms of the myths, it's, you know, how you sit and you have to have a yoga mat, or if your mind wanders, then you are doing it wrong. Can you speak to some of this stuff about like the actual form of, is, is there a right or wrong way?
0: Yeah. um, So that's one of the major myths is we think we're doing it wrong and our mind wanders while we're meditating and we assume, oh, we've screwed up the meditation, but actually that is the meditation. The mind wandering is the practice and you just gently bring it back to the breath, to the moment, you know, mindfulness. To a mantra.
1: I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you mentioned that to a word potentially. Yes.
0: And so, you know, your, your question is very simple and very practical. Like, how do I start? What do I do? Do I get an app? Well, maybe, maybe, but you start with a reasonable commitment. So I think for you, you knew right away, there's no way I can do 20 minutes twice a day Yeah. in the context of my daily life. Right. Right. That's a lot. Um, And so could you do three to five minutes? I I offer um, a one minute meditation in the book. and you start there. So maybe you start with a one-minute meditation and then you just sit and watch your mind in stillness or in quiet for a few minutes. Um, so that's one of the key myths is I don't have time. <laughs> and and that's a very valid one. We all feel like that at some point. Um, and so, okay, but you might have some time. It's funny, that chapter is on purpose, the shortest chapter of the book.
1: Interesting. The one with I, the exercises, you give the multiple exercises you can do.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. From, from one minute to, three, to two minutes to five yep. minutes. Yep. And so it's starting small. It's starting with what will work, right? Um, and then I think also there, so there are these myths about meditation itself, the mechanics of it, yes. you know, what it looks like. Yes. But the major thing is we have all these built-in myths around uh, how we should be, that somehow we are wrong right? That Mm -hmm. it's not just we're doing the meditation wrong, but it's, oh my gosh, I can't even sit still. My mind is so stressed out. I have the attention span of a goldfish. How pathetic. Oh, you know, like the pile on of how we're falling short. Um, And so I think that the beautiful thing about mindfulness and about meditation is it kind of interrupts that chatter or rather it, it pans back, it zooms out and you just you know, watch the chatter without any judgment for a little while. Yeah. And I know when I'm really getting somewhere, cause then I have a sense of humor about it. I'm like, oh my God, this story again, we're relitigating this argument in our heads mm-hmm. again, or, you know, I'm, I'm making the grocery list again. You, know, you just, you just start to see the patterns of the mind and to kind of unhook from them. That's mm-hmm. the spaciousness of it. Yes. That's the stillness of it. We're not perfecting things. We're not showing up for ourselves when we are these calm, blissful yogis. We're not showing up for ourselves when we've, you know, condoed all the closets or like <laughs> lost 10 pounds or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're showing up right now in the process Yeah, right now in this catastrophic, messy reality in which we find ourselves. You can take a breath.
1: Yes. And if anyone has on their phone how much time you've spent during the day, well, it gives you, you know, you've spent four hours and 20 minutes. And it's like, what? For the week or the day? You're talking the day? I have five minutes to meditate. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts while I drive. I mean, I know that it's not scrolling social for four hours. But when I see that, I think that there's no excuse not to be creating this routine, this habit, or to move my body, or, you know, it just puts things in perspective.
0: Yes. It's a great point. Uh, there's a Spanish philosopher who said so beautifully, um, his name's Jose Ortega y Gasset, um, tell me what it is you pay attention to Mm -hmm. and I will tell you who you are.
1: Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's deep. That's beautiful.
0: And so, so when I get trapped in the doom scrolling, which I do, <laughs> just anyone else, I'm like, we all do. This isn't who I want to be right now. Yeah. You know, I, um, and so we're going to all have to kind of get creative. But I do feel as though the pendulum is, is there will be a course correction, I think, in terms of how, how hooked we've been.
1: I agree because I think people are feeling the impacts of how bad it feels. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't. And our minds don't want to be taking in so much information at once. I actually tuned out for maybe a good month this summer. My daughter's like, mom, you're on, the, you're on Instagram. I'm like, you know what? It's summer. We're in Boston seeing our family we haven't seen in so long because of this pandemic. And I'm like, I'm going to delete it. She goes, you won't be able to do it. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to commit to two weeks. And it was easily a month. I just oh, didn't,
0: God, I didn't God. miss it. I didn't peek. I didn't miss it. I, I think once it's gone, like if you remove it from your field of awareness, yeah. That's like once it's, if it's, yeah, there, once it's
1: the app wasn't me. on my phone, I deleted, yeah. you can't have the app. And it's funny how my hand was looking for it, you know, in the beginning, yep. it was just like, oh wait, that's right. It's not there. This is because you made a promise that you were, you wouldn't, you know, be scrolling right. that. Can you talk about the mechanics a little bit, though, in terms of? Sure. I know you talk about sitting with your um, spine straight. I'm somebody who wore back brace. There's people who have back pain. Like, do we lie down? Can you sure. give us some? Yeah, yeah. you okay. absolutely,
0: you absolutely can lie down. Um, you know, the the kind of main priority is the neutralness of the spine, or the yeah. or just a spacious spine. But that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you have to be upright. Yes, um, you do want to be attentive. So. For many people, lying down too quickly might lead to sleep. Yeah. Um, Which sleep is very beneficial. You need sleep, but it's very different from meditation. They're, They're different things. Yeah. You know, but one thing that I like to say is if your meditation often makes you feel sleepy, what maybe do it at night? Do it right before bed and use that as a gift like, okay, this is how you're gonna doze off. That would be quite lovely. You know, I share in the book a body scan that you can do lying down or sitting up. But one way, you know, particularly for folks who struggle with um, falling asleep or staying asleep before you go to bed, just do that body scan, starting with the feet and working your way all the way up. If that naturally makes you sleepy, then use that to your advantage, perhaps.
1: Completely. Um,
0: You know, so it's about being comfortable. You can sit on the floor, you can sit in a chair. You can stand, you can walk. I share walking meditation. You can lie down.
1: I loved Um, that you shared a walking meditation. Walking Because I think some people need to move. They can't sit. And so you get the best of both. You're walking and you're meditating, right?
0: Yeah. And I mean, to your point about the amount of time we're on our devices, you know, the pandemic also forced life online even more. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of sedentary time. So to hear that now you... Have to meditate for you know however long might not fit into your life, but my goodness, uh, what if you know you live near a park or I live? I'm very lucky to live near an arboretum and to just walk in nature, but really pay attention to the walking. So whereas you know we talked about mantras, a mantra is a phrase that you can direct your attention to while you meditate. You can use the breath. When you walk, you're using the sensations of the body as the point of attention. So you're not walking to get anywhere. You're not wa- you're from Boston, I know. You're not walking like a Bostonian, <laughs> which is we will like
1: plow you over, right? Right, right. Not you're hot. walking too slow. Move aside.
0: Yeah. No, no, you, right. you shouldn't you shouldn't do walking meditation in the T because you'll really frustrate everyone. But right you really slow down, you pay attention to articulating through your foot, the heel, the midfoot, the ball of the foot. Um, If my goodness, you happen to live, you know, near the ocean, doing walking meditation on a beach is just spectacular, you know, put that phone away, like shut it off, leave it at home, just walk on the beach, heel, ball of foot, midfoot, you can even connect that with a mantra, you know, let it go. Let it go every Beautiful. step of your foot. Beautiful. So it's I like to just offer ways that people can be creative and just figure out, perhaps grant a permission to make it their own. Because I think sometimes that's what people are waiting for. We have this misconception that it has to occur in a precious little spot in the house with a candle right. lit at, right. at dawn or something. <laughs> And that's very nice, but it is probably not realistic for a lot of people. So, yeah. Well, it's
1: interesting because we were talking about, you took this class in Buddhism and you share in the story about Buddha's life. And I actually didn't know he was a prince. I didn't know his real name. So I loved that having the context. Can you speak a little bit? I mean, he was on a journey of enlightenment. You talk about the importance of being more awake. Really? That's right. I don't know that we'll get to enlightenment. Um, but being more awake is a goal that we can, and not to use it as a goal. Maybe I should use a different word. You can explain, but what can we learn from Buddha's journey? Because this isn't about, again, fixing life. It's Mm -hmm. accepting it in this moment, right? I mean, whatever, however, messy, uncomfortable, sad, happy, wherever you're at on. You have to see it it
0: clearly first, right? right? Yes. You have to feel in reality first. Yes. Um, So it was really important to me to share the lineage of mindfulness. Um, You know, there are all of these really important conversations happening around cultural appropriation that have, you know, been uh, long overdue in the yoga world and in meditation. People have been spending time in quiet for, you know centuries, thousands and thousands of years. It, it doesn't necessarily stem from a particular culture or tradition, but we must honor that Buddha is largely seen as the first teacher of meditation, right? Yes. That many of these practices that became mindfulness in the West yes, from Buddhism. It was very important to me and also it's, it's very interesting to me. I, I, I very love, interesting. you know, this is now 20 years of studying this that I wanted to share so that people had the context and could appreciate the connection. It's not that this is a Buddhist book or that, uh, I'm telling anyone that they need to practice in this particular way, but it is honoring the context and the tradition. So that was, that was the first piece. Um, and I think what Buddhism really at its core is about is just a basic goodness. We, we, we might call it Buddha nature. So enlightenment sounds like a very big word, very lofty. But really what it boils down to is having an awareness of your basic goodness and the basic goodness of everyone else.
1: Is that enlightenment? Is that, in fact, what it is?
0: Well, the, the word Buddha itself just means one who is awake.
1: Ah, that's what the Okay, one who's awake.
0: Yeah, so you know, I think enlightenment maybe feels very heady, but it's it's yes. one who is awake and um, paying attention to what is and mm. is minded, open hearted, um, moment to moment, breath to breath. Um, but I think what's so powerful is that the Buddha was not a god; he was he was a man, and he was very frank about teaching the practices that he wanted folks to use and, and being very candid that what was important was if they were useful, like he, he said, kind of test them out in your life (laughs) and get back to me. Right. So it's, um, it's very powerful that way. And, and I, I'm happy that you related to that. It's funny. It's such a big story that I knew I could not take it lightly and it had to be really, uh, correct. And I went back to my professor actually my original professor in college yeah uh, who's a buddhist scholar and i said look i'm gonna do this i want to make sure i get it right would you mind reading it and she did and this is so neat michelle actually the week that i emailed her was the week she retired oh wow i got goosebumps it was like our last homework oh i love
1: that yeah yeah
0: yeah so Um, yeah so it's honoring that Buddha nature in everyone, you know, that, that basic goodness. I mean, you you see it in a baby, like their, their nature is to connect. It, it, their nature is to love, to, to be in community, to be with each other, to be, um, you know, present. There's, is, there's is nothing but the present for a baby. For sure. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. There are reminders. I've always said that about even the little toddlers, I mean, the way they engage with life and seek out play and and they're totally in the moment with whatever they're doing. And then at some point we get conditioned out of that and the mind starts taking over. It's funny. I just, I had a guest on, um, he teaches a type of breathing exercise and we've covered breathing a couple of times on the show before with James Nestor. He came on, I saw that you referenced him in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I loved his book and I-
0: Oh, I'll have to dig back into the archive. Yeah,
1: he's great. And it was fascinating. And I just was like, wow, breath is so key. And you talk about that in the book. Then we've got this whole other layer of anxiety, which we're at an all-time high for right now. All time.
0: All time. time. I had an
1: expert come on who said the US was leading in anxiety before the pandemic hit. Of course. Can you imagine even now? So how can we use mindfulness- Meditation, I mean, I think you've made a lot of compelling cases, but I'd love for you to touch upon just the importance of again, we're not solving, we are honoring we have to be
0: with ourselves for the process, right yes,
1: we,
0: to just like a friend would if you go to a friend in a in a hard moment yeah and, and you're falling apart, your friend doesn't say, "Hey, can you get?" Your stuff together, you know, like I, I need you to get it together before I can be with you in a compassionate way. No, your friend just listens and your friend, you yeah. know, that's and that's very natural to us to offer other people. Mo- yes. Most people, it's natural. Yes. Yes. I, I know how to sit with you when you are in a hard place. You know, I I actually have a very dear friend who's having um, brain surgery tomorrow. And so we went out to lunch uh, yesterday. And I just, you know, we, I needed to just be present for him. That's it, right? Like anyone has that sort of natural instinct of how to be a good friend. But when it comes to ourselves, we somehow lose that instinct. And we can be quite cruel in our own minds and quite judgmental. And so in terms of not piling on, not adding to the anxiety, that's really the practice of sitting with yourself as a friend might. You could mm-hmm. even talk to yourself and just say, you know, they're there. It's okay.
1: You wrote that in the book. I love yeah. that. The they're yeah. there. I thought, how beautiful.
0: Yeah. Right? I, I also tell the story of a friend of mine who's an Olympic swimmer. And uh, they do, a, speaking of breathing, they do yes. hypoxic training where you do not breathe. For Have you heard of this? Or... From your book. I hadn't until I read your book.
1: I was like, they do what? (laughs) I'm
0: so scary. Right. So like, you know, they do this in
1: the coast guard. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I have a friend who trained in the coast guard and they would send them down and like, you know, almost on the verge of death, like pretty intense stuff.
0: Correct. Very intense. Um, and so I said to her, and this was the last training block before the Olympics in London or yes, I believe it was London. And, um, I said, so, what's it like to people panic? And she's like, oh my gosh, people cry. It's horrible. People are hysterical. It's 16 laps without breathing. And I said, what, what 16 laps? Yes. I said, what helps, you know, repetitions like over and over again of, of, I don't know, one or two laps, no breath. And then again, and again, and again, awful. The particular, I don't need the particulars. It just sounds bad. So, (laughs) and, or holding a brick, holding a brick, going down to the bottom, no breath. So I said, what helps? And she said, counting. You know, she has a rhythm when with her stroke that helps her to stay present. And then she said something I'll never forget. She said, because what is panic but getting ahead of yourself? Mm -hmm. Wow. And I thought, yes, exactly. So, you know, obviously dealing with panic, with anxiety, we need all the tools we can get. Meditation, breathing, breath work shouldn't take the place, for example, of qualified you know, uh, mental health care or prescription medicine, if that's what people need. But it can be a nice way to augment those things. It can be a nice way to, you know, have a tool that we can use any moment of the day. Um, And I think that just the nature of modern life right now is that most of us have a familiarity with anxiety. And so it's kind of taking us out of that stream of of getting ahead of ourselves and coming back to a place of stillness and quiet, uh, inner goodness, friendliness toward the self. Okay. I'm just going to sit with you self and we're going to breathe in and we're going to breathe out. Um, it's like I said, it's very natural for a friend or for a child, the way we speak to our kids totally natural. And then somehow we lose that, uh, awareness with ourselves.
1: So true. Um, does your practice look like? How old is your daughter
0: now? My daughter's four and a half.
1: Okay. So what are you doing it with her? I'm just curious because no. I mean, a lot of us know. Yeah. She,
0: she knows that I meditate. She knows what it looks like. We breathe together from time to time. Um, she sometimes goofs around on my <laughs> yoga mat with me, but I really value my practice as a way to, to have some space For you. For this is for your
1: time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you do? What does your practice look like? I think people like hearing
0: yeah. how somebody approaches it. So I meditate every day. It's usually in the neighborhood of 20 minutes, but I had had the experience like you many, many years ago where I was a daily meditator, very religious about, or excuse me, like you tried to be a daily meditator. And yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Kept failing spectacularly. So yeah, I, yeah. let me begin again. So I had that experience of I'd set a New Year's resolution to meditate every day. And by February 15th, I would, you know, fall off the wagon. Right. And then finally the breakthrough was I just took every parameter or judgment off other than doing it. Right. So it didn't have to be 20 minutes. It didn't have to be in the morning. It didn't have to look a certain way. It could be three minutes in my parked car before I go in to a meeting.
1: Do your feet and, have to be on the ground or can they be like, as my, <laughs> my daughter was in preschool, they'd say crisscross applesauce. I mean, are you sitting? No, yeah, um, you do
0: that. Does it um, matter? It doesn't matter. You, some people just in terms of knee joints or ankle joints, need to sit in a chair with feet on the ground. Yeah. But you could, you could sit on a couch cushion. You could sit on a yoga block. I tend to sit on a cushion on the floor. You do. do roughly
1: with your legs folded. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I do roughly 20 minutes. Um, you know, if I'm really in a, in a bind mentally, if it's been a really stressful day, I might tune into something guided. Um, or, I was curious
1: if you used any guided. Yeah. yeah depends. I don't,
0: I don't use any apps, um, per se, but for example, um, Tara Brock is a really talented teacher whom I love and respect so much. And she, she has a podcast. So I might like tune into that. If I, if I'm really stuck, the other, another nice thing to do because I'm a writer and a reader and I have all kinds of either books or poetry books, or even, um, mantra decks, like little cards, angel cards, If my mind is really, you know, distracted, I'll pull a card or open a poetry collection, read one, and then just sit still. And it's enough to gather the attention. Some people light a candle or uh, bow. You can bow like a little namaste moment to yourself that signifies, I'm going to practice now, you know, that just tells the mind, okay, mind, body, it's time to be in the same place at the same time.
1: It's interesting. As you're talking, I'm thinking about by keeping that commitment to yourself, it's almost like building trust with a friend, but you are your friend. Correct. Or you're saying, I can, I can actually show up for you every day. That's Whether that's right. one minute, five minutes, 20 minutes, I can actually do this for you
0: because you're worth it and you deserve it. That's right. And I think the thing, the other piece that people often don't account for is that they expect that the meditation should feel a certain way. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes in the moment, it can feel boring. It can feel itchy. It can feel tedious. Your leg falls asleep. Yeah. It, what, right. it's, not, it's not that interesting. It's certainly not as good as Ted Lasso, you know? <laughs> right. But... It's the other 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day where you will feel the benefits of meditation. So it's not just in the moment while we're sitting, we do it because then when you're in a conversation with your daughter after school and she really needs you to listen, maybe you're going to be wired to pay closer attention in that moment. Yeah. Right that's where we start to feel it in our, in the fabric of our daily life.
1: Yeah. You actually mentioned some science on, um, a group of people who I'll let you tell the story, but they got brain scans, MRIs to just Correct. to see, could you just share this piece of data? Cause I actually thought this was very compelling if, yes. you know, if somebody needed something more specific.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. Now, um, you know, for a long time, it was, you know, a lot of anecdotal evidence from, from yogis or hippies saying you should do this. Right. It's really good for you. Right. And one of the huge benefits of the mindfulness movement in the West led by a lot of folks um, local to Boston, actually, you know, John Kabat-Zinn being one of them, um, you know, the primary one who put medical training and research behind these practices. And so what they did was they took a group uh, and taught them to meditate and scanned their brains, you know, before, during, and after, yeah. and what they found is that the the actual image of the brain changed. Gray matter within the brain changed. the The brain got stronger in areas that relate to executive functioning, that relate to you know emotional intelligence, um, impulse control. That became stronger. Memory. And Yes. Memory. Exactly. And then the amygdala, which is sort of the smoke detector of the brain and can get really, um, it's, it's wiring can be faulty, particularly in, in, uh, trauma survivors. Yeah. And, and it sort of tells us like something's wrong, something's wrong when maybe something is not wrong, that area of the brain got smaller. Wow. And it's, you know, it's, it's totally fascinating and, and more and more we're, we're seeing the research Kind of pan out in ways that validates the practice and the benefits. But really, what what is most important is how it feels in your life
1: completely. I think anyone who's done any meditation, even if it's one you know once a week, anything, you know the days that you do, just like you said, yeah when you don't, you're waking up at three, maybe feeling anxious. you know, you know that the meditation helped. But some people, I think, really like to see the science behind it. I agree.
0: Uh, Right. So having that, I think, I thought that was great that you included that. That, um, the researcher's name for that particular study is Sarah Lazar. And um, she actually has a Ted talk, I believe. Oh, I'll I'll link that in the show notes too. And and I think she outlines that particular study. It happened at MGH. Um, and there are others now like it and, um, you know, just really exciting, exciting stuff. It is exciting. Um, We've covered a lot.
1: If the women were to take one key takeaway, like at the heart of this book, what you want people to walk away with, what would you
0: say? I would say that we have what we need to begin, and we know more than we think we do. Um, you know, everyone, whether they've formally meditated or not, they've had the experience of being deeply immersed in the moment and knowing what that feels like and knowing what it feels like to tap into a a place of inner stillness. We also can recognize it in others. You know, we can, we can recognize when people are really listening when they're really there. And so I think uh, I wanted to offer just some added encouragement, kind of like holding the reader's hand, like, okay, like let's work with what we have. Let's start right here, right now. We don't have to wait until our schedule is more manageable or our kids are in school or the house is clean or whatever, all (laughs) those obstacles that Mm -hmm. that keep us from, you know, three minutes in the waiting room at the doctor's office, having a little mantra or a little breathing exercise that you can do wherever you are. Um, So yeah, people know more than they think they do. And and um and there's a way to make it work in their life as it is right now.
1: It's beautiful. Um, I think everyone should read your book, Still Life, The Myths and Magic of Mindful Living. Where can people
0: find it and also find you? Thank you, Michelle. Um so the the best place to find me, uh I'm on social media, of course, at Omgal O M G A L. I do have a website for the book. So stilllifebook.com will get you kind of any information about what I'm up to lately. And that is online and or in person. Right now, it's mostly online. Um, and the book is sold wherever you like to buy your books. So, you know, if your local indie doesn't have it, they can order it. Uh, obviously, it's, it's available through all the biggies, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those it's great.
1: This has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you for writing this, making it more accessible and um, inspiring us with tactical things that we can do today. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. And thank you for the conversations that you bring and the support that you offer. And uh, it's been really fun to to meet you and to connect. So, And I'm excited to now be a listener and dive back in and listen to James Nestor and all the other episodes <laughs> that I've missed.
1: <laughs> You're so sweet. Thank you so much, Rebecca.